Hey, this is Dr. Patty Sadala. Welcome to my Experience Jesus podcast. In this how-to episode, we will look at the importance of fixing your eyes on Jesus so that you may pray according to God's will. The lessons in this episode are among the most important lessons that I've learned in my own Christian life. It truly is a game changer for your prayer effectiveness to learn these lessons. I'll begin by sharing the story of how I originally learned these principles about praying with an idol in your heart. This very story and lesson led me to Christian Leadership University and eventually my doctoral program there. I was totally freaking out. You would have thought that George and I would have learned our lesson from the last two times we bought a new house before selling our old one first. But here we were again, facing two house payments. Becky was a prayer partner of mine at the Cleveland House of Prayer and had recently moved to Atlanta. We had committed to staying in touch, and I began that prayer call by dumping my anxiety on her without restraint. I'm not contributing financially to the household income, and George is so stressed out. The realtor doesn't know how to market an in-law suite house, and we're just not getting the right buyers through. I don't know how long we can afford to pay these two house payments, I ranted. Becky said, I think you're praying the situation through an idol. I had no idea what she was talking about. Becky explained that she recently completed a weekend seminar called Communion with God by Mark Verkler at the Atlanta House of Prayer. In addition to gaining the skill of dialogue journaling with God, she learned about praying with an idol in your heart. Becky showed me that whenever you make anything bigger in your mind and in your heart than God, it's an idol. She talked me through the picture that I will put at the bottom of the pattyej.podbean.com site for this episode. This teaching completely changed my prayers and led to my doctoral program at Christian Leadership University. Grasping this concept will change the way you pray from a powerless, self-centered position to a powerful, God-centered approach. The teaching is based on Ezekiel 14, 1 through 6. Some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat down in front of me. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me at all? Therefore speak to them and tell them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. When any of the Israelites set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces and then go to a prophet, I, the Lord, will answer them myself in keeping with their great idolatry. I will do this to recapture the hearts of the people of Israel who have all deserted me for their idols. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says, repent, turn from your idols and renounce all your detestable practices. Ezekiel could see that the Israelites were praying with stumbling blocks and he wanted to know if God would even bother to answer such a prayer. The Lord replied that he would answer their prayers, but in light of their idolatry. Why? So he could teach them lessons that would recapture their hearts to him. He wanted the very best for them. To understand this verse and concept, you can either look carefully at the drawing on the episode page, or imagine yourself kneeling down and there's a door or a wall in front of you that says idol. And on the other side of the idol, you see a tiny Jesus. You are praying as though the issue is much bigger than Jesus, and your eyes are directed to the idol on the wall. 
that means your eyes are fixed on the problem and definitely can't see Jesus. He's on the other side of the wall. When you fix your eyes on your problem, it becomes a stumbling block and begins to grow and create worry in your mind and in your heart. Anything that you make bigger than Jesus is an idol and is a stumbling block. Even good things can become idols or stumbling blocks, like concern about your kids or your spouse, your finances, your job, your ministry. Making anything bigger than Jesus will get you in trouble. When you make your issue bigger in your mind and speak it out loud, you give the enemy a chance to make it a stronghold in your life, and you give God the opportunity to teach you some lessons. Those lessons from God are loving discipline that will help you grow closer to Him. Going your own way always takes longer, is more painful, and is more stressful. When you're praying with an idol in your heart, God will often answer your prayer, no. His refusal is likely because your prayer is not His will. Remember, He's the omni-God who knows everything, including what's in your best interest at all times. You may think that this job is the best thing for you, but God has a better plan. Or he may say no because you're not ready for his best blessing. Many pray to win the lottery because they assume that getting rich will solve all of their problems. Winning the lottery when you're not fully surrendered to God can be a curse. God often answers idle prayers grow. This means that you may need to mature in your faith before being ready to receive this prayer's answer. I've already shared how I was praying the house situation. I believe that God was answering my prayer with grow because I needed to learn this lesson. Can you see how I was making my anxieties about this house situation bigger than God? Is there a situation in your life that you can relate to that you are praying through an idol? Now let's look at what it's like to pray without an idol. Look at the image below or imagine that you are praying and you are kneeled down and Jesus is very large and the issue that you're praying through is small. It's like a small box laid at his feet and you are able to see him eye to eye and heart to heart. Hebrews 12.2 says, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. In this prayer, you remind yourself and Jesus that you know who he is you know what he's promised relative to your issue, and you simply listen to his voice and for the conditions of his promises. You surrender your will to his greater will, and you choose to be content no matter how things turn out because you trust that God knows the best for you, whether you understand it or not. Oftentimes, the answers to idle-free prayers are yes or go because you are praying God's ideal prayers and not your own. Praying this way indicates that you are ready for God's best blessings. Sometimes God answers idle-free prayers slow. This is likely because there are other people and circumstances which affect the answer. The timing for answered prayers is God's domain. Many complicated factors must line up for a yes. We may not understand why things take so long, but God is never late, and we need to trust him in all areas because he is trustworthy and true. Here's how I prayed my house situation after I learned this lesson. Lord, you are the author of our story. You planned for us to move to this new house and for the buyers of the present house before you created the heavens and the earth. Lord, you are the Jehovah Jireh, our supernatural provider. You know our every need. 
I trust you to bring the buyers in your perfect timing and to take care of us in the meantime. You are the promise-keeping God, and you have promised to meet all of our needs according to your riches and glory, Philippians 4.19. Thank you for this house challenge and for showing me how to pray according to your will and good purposes. Mighty Counselor, may your peace fill our hearts and let faith rise as we wait for you to solve these problems, Isaiah 40.31. In Jesus' mighty and matchless name, amen. It wasn't long after I changed my prayer that the Lord provided the buyers to our house. We did not have to go another month with double house payments. More importantly, after I prayed that prayer, I had peace about it. Even if God had us wait much longer, I would have had peace in my heart about it. Here are some clues that you may be praying an idol in your heart. Your prayer begins with your worry and anxiety about the issue. This is a clue that the concern is bigger than God. You tell God the desired outcome that you have for this issue. This indicates that you have not surrendered your own will to the issue, but you are praying what you want him to do and how you want him to do it. Another indication is that your focus is related to natural limitations rather than on God's supernatural ability. Your focus in your prayer is on the impossibility of the circumstance. This reveals either disbelief or unbelief. Disbelief is that you don't believe it for anybody, and unbelief means you don't believe it for yourself. Here are the steps to praying without an idol in your heart. You're going to be calling on the names and the character of God. So first, you're going to remind God who he is in a situation. Call upon the names such as the provider, the counselor, the comforter, the promise keeper, almighty God. Speak the truth of the Bible over the situation. Find scriptures that address the name of God in your situation. The toolbox for the How to Live a Worry-Free Life book is available on the pattyej.podbean.com site. This toolbox will help you find the names of God and the promises so that you can find the verses that will anchor your faith over the circumstance that you're praying about. Ask Jesus directly about your issue using the dialogue journaling skills that you've been learning in this podcast. Meet him in your special place as a child and simply ask him what his will is for the circumstance. Then speak out loud in agreement with God for who he is, what he's capable of doing, what he has promised, and what his will is over your situation. Speaking out loud activates your faith. We're going to go over that later in this podcast about how that works exactly. One simple way to understand the concept of praying with or without an idol is instead of gazing at your problems and glancing at Jesus, gaze at Jesus and glance at your problems. Gazing is a long look. Glancing is a short look. Here's what I have learned. God loves when we gaze at him. Gazing is when our focus is totally on him. Glancing is when we consider him an afterthought and our minds are completely preoccupied on other things more than him. Worship, praise, dialogue, journaling, spending time with him in the special place, is gazing. But here's the cool part. Gazing at Jesus causes him to gaze back at you. When you enter his presence, he enters yours. This is the place of true encounter. Wherever his eyes are looking, his favor will flow. Whatever your eyes are fixed on grows within you. So if you're looking at your problem, it becomes bigger and bigger. But if you look at Jesus, he becomes bigger and bigger. Whatever grows within you is what you become. 
Keep your eyes on Jesus and he grows within you, along with the fruit of the Spirit, his nature, character, and will. Keeping your eyes on your problems and anxieties, have them grow within you to the point where they can even grow into heart condition, anxiety, ulcers, and paralyzing fear. Speaking out loud is a huge part of the process. That's because the next thing that happens is that what grows within you becomes what you talk about. Words are subject to the laws of sowing and reaping. Galatians 6 8 says, Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. What you speak out loud is what in your heart, and the act of speaking it activates your faith in that direction. Luke 6 45 says, A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart and an evil person produces evil things from a treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. When you speak worry, you're actually speaking negative faith. This is faith in reverse. It's activating faith, believing that negative things will happen. Speak out loud that you agree with the promises of God and you are speaking faith in God's direction, faith forward. The senses of the heart and cycles of behavior model on this episode page of the pattyej.podbean.com site is a diagram that explains the process very easily. Just as the body has five natural senses, seeing, hearing, smelling, touching, and tasting, so the inner man or your heart has five senses as well. These spiritual senses are the eyes and ears of your heart, and the mind, will, and emotion of the heart. The heart is the container for your spirit, and when you are saved, it houses the Holy Spirit as well. The Holy Spirit uses these inner man senses to communicate and guide you throughout your life. Knowing about these senses is an important first step to being able to understand yourself and others. The model works in both the positive and in the negative. When it's working in the negative, your starting point is worldly. When it's working in the positive, your starting point is Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the model to see how a reinforcing pattern works in both negative and positive ways. The circle represents your heart, beginning with receiving messages in your ears and your eyes. Notice that you receive messages from both your natural senses perceiving the physical world and your spiritual senses of the eyes and ears of your heart. The cycle begins by receiving information through your eyes or your ears. Then your mind begins to ponder it. Then you decide with the will of your heart and decisions are activated when you speak out loud what your decision is. Then you move into the emotion in your heart that actually motivates you to act, and you actually take action there. Then there's a waiting period where you wait to see what will happen. You can begin this cycle in a positive way, looking through the eyes and ears of your heart and receiving information from the Lord, which will take you around the circle in a positive way, or you can begin negatively, and even though it's going clockwise around the circle, you're actually working toward a negative outcome. I'm going to be sharing two stories here so you can see what I'm talking about in a second. 
In the model, you'll notice there are arrows leading you one step at a time. One step leads to the next step with reinforcing momentum. If you begin by receiving positive information with your eyes or your senses, it moves you to a positive direction. But if you begin with negative information, you still move clockwise around the circle, but your outcome will be negative. I think you will find that it's easier to understand these patterns when we share it with a life story. Let's look at this if you take a story and base it on worry, and we'll see how that leads to faith in reverse. One day when George and I were still newlyweds, he went windsurfing on Lake Erie. This was long before the days of cell phones, and he still hadn't learned the nuances of communicating with a wife yet. I was already getting angry when he missed dinner without calling. By 8 o'clock, anger turned to worry, and my mind started picturing him on the side of the road or in a hospital bed. It was not until the 11 p.m. news that my worry turned into full panic. The top story revealed was that a windsurfer had died on the lake, and the Coast Guard had been working all day to try to find him. They did not share the name of the windsurfer, but now I had pictures in my mind of George in a coffin and me a childless widow. I called friends and family and asked if they had any idea where he may be, and my worry was spreading like a wildfire. I was spiraling out of control with worry and making everyone else crazy in the process. I found myself looking for a paper bag to breathe in when George finally walked in the door close to midnight. I wrapped my arms around him in relief and then anger came back and I began to vent. George took the screaming with a blank exhausted face. You see, it was his friend that died on the lake that night. He had been part of the search party since early afternoon. He knew that Channel 3 was televising the search efforts, but it still didn't occur to him to call me and let me know what was going on. His mind was on finding his friend. It was way too windy for an old guy of 53, he told me. He had no business being on the lake in these conditions, something I still remind my now 67-year-old husband when he goes windsurfing now. Let's break this down by looking at the circle model. You receive information through the eyes and the ears first. The empty dinner table and the absence of information was what I chose to fix my eyes on initially. Then I fixed my eyes on the news story and pictured myself a childless widow. What you fix your eyes and your ears on grows within you in your mind and heart. Pondering in the mind is where you let yourself imagine what you assume to be true. Pictures stemming from some portion of reality mix with ideas in your imagination that roll around in your mind and build a convincing scenario. You have planted worry in fertile soil. What grows within the mind and your heart seems to be the only plausible truth, and what you begin to decide or agree with is the will of your heart. Your words reveal what's in your heart. Speaking out loud what's in your heart activates faith in that direction. The Lord created the heavens and the earth by speaking, and our speech has much more power than we realize. By calling friends and family, I agreed with my blossoming worry, and I planted it and spread it to them so that they could begin worrying. What you speak activates your faith, either in the positive or the negative direction. Your emotions bear fruit, leading you to act according to what's in your heart. Notice that the cycle reinforces itself. You begin to see and hear that which is reinforced in what you've already seen and heard. And waiting seems to magnify the process. What grows within you is what you become. 
If I had allowed the fear of what happened to George's brand make me believe that it would happen to him, I would have a level of anxiety every time he wanted to sail. We would probably constantly fight about him wanting to sail, and it goes on and on. Sure, it could happen to him, but I don't want to fix my eyes on it happening to him. Today, my husband loves to ride his bike on hilly country roads. A few friends from the bike club died from that, too. Both of those sports are dangerous. But God doesn't want us to live in fear. He wants us to live in faith of him. The faith of God is having his faith, not ours. When I was writing the How to Live a Worry-Free Life book, the Lord gave me an opportunity to practice this whole model. The second story is Faith Forward, the miracle of Dolce. The Lord often gives me special opportunities like this to learn a specific life application lesson to whatever it is he's having me write about. My daughter, Jamel, rescued Dolce as a street kitten outside of her place of employment. He was especially friendly to people considering how scrappy his existence. Dolce had a tendency to eat foreign objects, and when our granddaughter Eden was born, he ate one of her pacifiers and nearly died. He was no longer safe in their home. It was many months before she agreed to let him go to my sister Michelle's house. Our mother had just died a couple of weeks before Michelle adopted Dolce. He would be a comfort for her. He was only in her home four days when my brother Jamie came over to help sort out mom's things in the garage. While Michelle was out working, he left the garage door open and Dolce got out. Dolce's adventure was not just an object lesson for me, but also for my daughters and the ladies in my Bible study class and other friends. God was teaching truth during this season. What I have next is the conversations that the Lord gave me and each of us during that season and rolled out how that story turned out. I didn't know where Dolce was, but God did. So the first thing I did was fix my eyes on Jesus and ask him, Below is a list of journal conversations to show you what the Lord was doing in this season. This is the messages the Lord gave me the day he got away. Okay, Lord, I know you know everything, and I know you know exactly where Dolce is, and if Michelle will ever find him. Lord, I feel like Dolce is a member of my family, and you know full well how heartbroken Jamel and Noel and Michelle will be if he's lost or something bad happened to him. Please show me the truth and let me know what needs to happen now. Patty Cake, he's okay. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you for keeping him safe. What do we need to do now? He said, go to Michelle's house and help her look for him, but do not make her or Jamie feel bad about this. It's not their fault. Later that night, after not finding him, I journaled, Lord, I believe you that he's safe. Thank you for keeping him safe. That day, I was mostly praying away any spirit of worry and anxiety and speaking out loud the promise that God had said that he was safe and in God's care. I prayed, Lord, I surrender my anxious spirit to you, and I ask that you give me an increased faith to believe you for your promises. I had an instant sensation of peace. On the first full day that Dolce was missing, many of the ladies from the class I was teaching at the time started to pray for Dolce and started to receive pictures and images of him with Jesus. One lady was given a message that Dolce would be gone for three days and reminded her that Jesus was in the grave for three days. Dolce would be missing for three days. Three is the number of Trinity. 
and the Lord gave her a vision of Dolce running in a field. This was interesting at the time because it was the middle of February and it was very cold out. But he was having the time of his life, and the Lord told her to command us all to trust and believe. More ladies received visions and words of encouragement from the Lord. One saw Dolce playing with other cats and having so much fun, very happy. Another saw angels holding him. These visions gave us assurance that he was okay and would return. I was feeling so much better because of these encouraging messages that the Lord was sending through other people. I needed to continue to speak faith. Jesus said, believe, expect, speak faith. Give me thanks and praise even for this challenge. You are doing exactly what you should be doing. You are passing this anointing test. You are showing people what it's like to believe me. Speak life for the harvest of blessings. Believe me for this promise of Dolce's safe return. You can take it to the bank. The next day, even more people were getting messages from God about Dolce. One lady saw him curled up and being warmed by the wings of angels with a full belly, content and secure in God's care. Another saw a vision of tossing stones in the water, and the Lord told her that the stones represented the concerns of the world. When they plopped into the water, they dropped out of sight, never to resurface again. Jesus wanted all of us to cast our cares upon him. In my journal that day, the Lord gave me the message to trust Matthew eleven twenty eight, which says, Come to me, all who are worried and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. The Lord reminded me the importance of thanking him for the trial and for all the lessons that he would have for us in it. He said, allow me to fill you with my faith and you'll get through this. On the third day, I woke up with song after song on Pandora of encouragement about Dolce coming back. Songs like the loss will be found and faith will rise as you wait upon the Lord and your grace is enough and the eye of the storm I'm still holding on, healing rain. I was jumping around, shouting with joy and anticipation for how this was all going to turn out. At 11.15 p.m. on the third day, God reminded me of the story of Gideon. God had an encouraging conversation with Gideon about a battle he was facing with the Midianites. He even gave Gideon some assurance by allowing him to overhear an enemy soldier share a dream about Gideon defeating them. After reducing Gideon's army of 3,000 to only 300 warriors in his camp, They were surrounded by a much larger enemy. Then the Lord told him to open his spiritual eyes so he could see the real truth. Judges 7, 17 to 18 says, Watch me, he told them, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. And when I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. Gideon's men simply watched the Midianites defeat themselves. God certainly handles things differently than we would. There was a spiritual reality that they just could not see until the Lord told them to open their spiritual eyes. I ran to my journal and started to speak to Jesus, and he said, Dolce is right there. Call Michelle and tell her to open her spiritual eyes. He's right there. I called Michelle and she opened the front door and called out to him. He wasn't there. So I told her to look around. He could even be in the house. She turned around and Dolce was at the back screen door. 
God had one more lesson for us, though. As soon as she ran to open the door, Dolce ran again. I went back to my journal and consulted Jesus, and he said, He's trying to come home, but you need to trust me for one more lesson, and I'll bring him back. Don't go after him. Leave the back door slightly ajar with some food and go to bed. Text everyone that's praying and tell them that Dolce is coming home and they need to go to bed, trusting that he will be back. I need you to not try here. Let me do it. Michelle did this, and a bit later she woke up to go to the bathroom and Dolce rubbed against her legs. He was home. God kept his promise. The next day, I asked the Lord, where had Dolce been? The Lord had taken Dolce to heaven, which is why people saw him with angels. God is so cool. His ways certainly are different than ours, and we should never think in natural limitations when it comes to God. To live faith forward takes the exact same model and moves around the circle, but the difference is primarily influenced by God and not our worries or fears. The first step is fixing your eyes on Jesus and asking him first. The seed of his promise was planted in fertile soil of my heart, and I agreed with God's will for the situation and spoke that out loud boldly. I trusted him and received even more encouragement through songs and the messages he was sending through other people. I jumped up and down in grateful anticipation, singing to those encouraging songs before I even saw the promise fulfilled. These additional messages built my faith for the outcome, and God faithfully delivered. God is a promise-keeping God. You can take his promises to the bank, but be careful of the waiting phase. Waiting can give birth to unbelief. Twelve hours of waiting in the first story and three and a half days in the second story may have felt like eternity at the time, but it's not that long. And I was blessed to have the time limit promise to hang on to for the second story. The Lord rarely gives us information about his timing. Abraham waited 25 years for the birth of Isaac, and he died without seeing the promise fulfilled of the offspring numbering the stars in the sky, which is actually referring to you and me, those who have accepted Jesus' gift of salvation. But Abraham was considered the father of faith, because he believed God for the promises in spite of his long wait. For our Experience Jesus component of this podcast, we are going to work through an area that you may be praying through an idol and ask the Lord to reframe it for you and give you a new prayer. There's a little bit of homework before you dive into this encounter, and I will have the key questions that you should think through before you go into this experience with Jesus. The key questions are listed on the pattyej.podbean.com site for this episode. And I'm sharing them right now. So if you want to take notes, pause the, the tape to make sure you get them if you don't have the ability to see them on that site. Looking at the senses of the heart and cycles of the behavior model diagram, you're going to think back on your greatest worry, and we're going to map it out in your own personal responses step by step. So here are the questions I want you to ponder before you dive in and ask Jesus to give you some insight. What is the area of your life that you tend to worry the most about? Where are your eyes and ears fixed? What does this cause you to believe about the situation? What do you speak about related to this circumstance? What are you saying about it? 
what emotions are motivating you to do something? And what action are you thinking of taking as a result of those emotions? How has waiting influenced the situation? Are you praying the situation through an idol? After you've done this homework, you can take this issue to Jesus. There is a guided imagery exercise below that will walk you through the steps of working this issue through with Jesus. If this is your first podcast experience with us, you may want to go back to the trailer episode and learn about the biblical foundation for dialogue journaling, our process for experiencing Jesus. This leads you through the first special place encounter with Jesus as a child. This is a starting point for all of our experiences with Jesus. For best results, it is always good to properly posture your heart for your experience by welcoming Jesus' presence with praise and thanksgiving and playing with him in the special place as a child for a few minutes before asking for anything from him. The key steps of that guided imagery are that you will visit Jesus in your special place as a child. You will ask him to show you or tell you what his truth is about the issue and ask him to show you your heart and the hearts of those involved. He will give you his perspective on the situation. Allow yourself to ponder what he's showing and telling you. Jesus cannot lie. He will never show you something that's not true. It will always be consistent with his nature, names, character, and promise. If it's not consistent with that, it's not his voice. Decide in your spirit to agree with Jesus. He knows best. He is sovereign and he is loving. Speak out loud in agreement with what he shared and speak the verses that he shows you that agree with it. Keep seeing and speaking in agreement until you feel the peace that washes over you. Allow this new picture to be what you look at when you think of this issue. Learning how to pray like this has changed my life completely. And I'm praying that we'll do the same for you. Would you like to know how to go deeper with God? I want you to prayerfully consider attending the Deeper Spirit Life Workshop, May 12th to 14th, 2023, on the shores of Lake Erie near Cleveland, Ohio. God's glory has the power to transform you in an instant. What could God do with you and through you if you learn how to quiet yourself and gaze long enough for God's glory to transform you. Gazing is a long look, while glancing is a short one. When you gaze at Jesus, he gazes back, and his glory flows where his eyes are fixed. In God's glory, there is peace, healing, and clarity of purpose and direction. Learn how to stay in God's presence long enough for him to transform you into the Christ you that he died for you to become, your Christ's perfected identity. You can expect expertly facilitated Jesus encounters and plenty of time to connect with God in this workshop. For more information and to register, check out spiritlifeworkshops.com. We hope to see you there. And I hope you will join us on this podcast adventure. Follow this podcast and forward it to others that you think may be blessed by it. And check out all the links below. They are designed to take you deeper. I thank God for you and bless you in Jesus' name.